Welcome to Grace Church Online. It's great to have you with us again, and it's great for those of you that might be uh, tuning in for the first time. We welcome you. It's so great to have you with us this morning. Today is part two of our brand new series, and and uh, what we've been diving into is is why some people may choose not to believe in God. And last week, what we did is we talked about the question, does God really care? And today we're talking about those who would say, you know what, I want to believe, but I don't really care. I mean, a lot of people would say, you know, why are you talking to me about truth? I'm I'm not even on a a truth quest. Uh, I'm not searching for God. uh, To be honest, I don't even really care. I mean, to be honest, I, I, I would just... I would really want to just live my life kind of my own way. Um, I just want to have fun, and I know I'll die, and, and that'll be the end. That's, that's really uh, it, you know? And so, to be honest with you, um, I don't really care. So would you just please leave me alone, you know? Uh, this morning, I'm going to approach this message in two different parts. Uh, the first part is actually going to focus on the fact that the Scriptures actually talk about a time where... People are not going to care. And so the scripture actually talks about this idea and, and this topic of people not really caring anyways. And it's, it's really fascinating. It's really interesting. And then the second part of the, the talk today is going to focus on um, why you should care. And so let's talk about why some people may say, I want to believe, but I don't really care. We're going to look at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and it's called 2 Timothy. And, you know, Paul wrote most of the books of the New Testament of the Scriptures, and out of all the books that Paul wrote, this is his last one. When Paul wrote this, he's about to die. He's actually writing this letter from prison. Um, Paul was put into prison because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And not too long after Paul wrote this letter, he was actually put to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So, so Paul's at the end of his life and he's sitting in a jail cell and he's eating horrible food and he's tired and he's probably cold. And um, you need to know that Paul actually lived a rough life. I mean, he uh, was beaten because of his faith in Jesus. He was shipwrecked. And uh, I mean, Paul lived a, uh, an incredibly uh, fulfilling life but it was really a tough life, and he has the scars to prove it. You know, the reality was, is Paul wouldn't stop telling people that Jesus died so that their brokenness and so that their sins could be forgiven. And so the authorities of his day came up with a plan to shut him up, to make Paul stop uh, preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ. And they decided that, man, Paul, he can't preach without a head. And that's exactly what happened to Paul is he ended up being put to death because of his faith in Jesus. The authorities of his day were doing their best to shut him up once and for all. I want you to notice what Paul does at the end of his life. You know, Paul is is not sitting in his jail cell complaining or asking God, like, why me, God? You know, he's not complaining and he's not bitter. He's not blaming God for his misery. What Paul does is is truly astonishing. I mean, he writes another book of the Bible. That's what Paul does. He writes a letter to Timothy to encourage him in his faith, to build him up as a man. It's actually really amazing. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from Paul. Paul's not complaining. He's not a 
accusing God of his bad situation. He's not trying to rally people to protest for him or to bust them out of jail. His focus instead is on other people. Instead of thinking about himself, he's actually thinking about um, his young son in the faith, Timothy. And we can learn a lot of lessons from Paul's example. So I want to invite you this morning to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. The scriptures are going to be on the screen in front of you, but man, I would invite you to grab a Bible of your own. And I, I want you to know this, if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one absolutely free. You can come to Grace Church um, and just, uh, we would love to give you a Bible of your own. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at five verses that are very straightforward. Uh, forward. They're, uh, they're very uh, poignant verses. So let, let's get right to it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Verse 3. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They, They will be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and they will love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could actually make them godly. And then Paul finishes this first section in 2 Timothy chapter 3 by saying, stay away from people like that. Now I think first of all, it's important to clarify what Paul's talking about when he says, last days. Um, This has been a saying that is, is kind of widely known in Christian circles, and it's been widely used in Christian circles, but it's also been widely abused in Christian circles. I mean, there's a big debate over what the last days are, or what that time frame looks like, or when it's going to happen. And some have said, you know, man, Jesus is coming back today, or no, he's coming back tomorrow. No, he's, he's coming back on May 21st, and oh no, wait, now it's June uh, 14th, and I mean, people have been trying to predict when Jesus is going to come, his second coming, so much so that uh, Christians have sometimes been made out to look very foolish and like they have no clue what they're talking about. Even in the early church, people thought that Jesus was coming back at any minute. Some people even quit their jobs so they could just look up into the sky and wait for Jesus to come. And Paul had to tell those people, no, you, you need to get a job, okay? That's, that's not what you should be doing is just sitting there staring at the sky. Like, that's not a good use of your time. It's actually really not a good idea. So we're about 2,000 years removed from the, the time that Paul wrote this. So it's been a little while. A few years have passed by. So I think it would be good, I think it would be smart for us to figure out what, what's, what's Paul talking about when he says the last days, because we do know that the last days, there's going to be some awful times. There's going to be some very hard times in those last days. So when, when Paul talks about the last days, he's talking about the time between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
It's actually a large chunk of time. It's, it's a large chunk of human history. You see, the, the first coming of Jesus. You know, Jesus came to earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived. He died on the cross for our sins. And then he conquered death. And he rose again. And then the scriptures tell us that he ascended back up into heaven. And right now, he's currently seated at the right hand of God the Father, and that is a place of honor. The Holy Spirit, the Scriptures tell us, have been, the Holy Spirit has been left here to indwell each and every one of us who have accepted Jesus by faith, who have put their faith in Jesus, have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here now to indwell believers. So those things have already happened. But the return of Jesus is still out there in the future somewhere. The second coming of Jesus hasn't happened yet. It's still out there in the future. It's yet to happen. And so when Jesus comes again for the second time, he's actually going to come and he's going to rule. He's going to set up his kingdom all over the earth. And what Paul is referring to when he says the last days, he's referring to that time in the middle, that time of when Jesus came the first time and when Jesus comes the second time. That time in between there, Paul is calling the last days. So the last days is actually a, it's a big chunk of time. And, and just to be very clear, we are currently in the last days because Jesus came once, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended, and he's going to come again, but that hasn't happened yet. That's somewhere out in the future. And we are here right now in what is called the last days. I, I want to encourage you um, to read Second Thessalonians um, chapter 2. I think it'll help you to even have greater clarity on what Paul is referring to when he talks about uh, the last days. Second Thessalonians is, is a great... Uh, um, letter to read to help give you even more understanding on this. Second Thessalonians was written by Paul. Um, actually, it was written by Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But I want to encourage you to read Second Thessalonians chapter two. I think it'll help bring some clarity on the on the term "last days." But I, I will say this: if someone is trying to scare you into following Jesus by using the last days argument, you know? If they're trying to use the last days and they're, they're kind of twisting it in a way to, to scare you into relationship with Jesus Christ, don't believe them. Even if they claim that they've had a spiritual vision or even if they claim that they've had a revelation or even if they twist the Bible to say what they want it to say, I want you to know that God is not trying to use scare tactics to build a relationship with you. That's not how God works. That's not who God is. He wants to have a relationship with you um, because of love, not because you're afraid or scared. However, Paul says in the last days, there will be some difficult times. There will be some terrible times. Paul says these terrible times are going to be caused by people. Isn't that how it works even today? I mean, if you trace back the majority of your awful 
times, okay? You think about all the awful times that you've had in your life. You trace that back to a person on the other end who's usually causing those awful times. People, man, they can be cruel to one another. People can be awful to each other. So what Paul does is he shares 20 different ways that people act horrible or people, 20 different ways that people hurt each other. So we read the scriptures there in 2 Timothy 3, but first of all, Paul says in these times, people will love only themselves and they will love their money. Listen, we, we are a society. We are a culture of people that is madly in love with themselves. Everything is about me and my agenda or about you and your agenda. And because of that, you're not interested in me and I'm not really interested in you. Our society, I mean, our society pounds this into our heads. Um, you, know, you know, people who are shackled or chained to social media. I mean, they are totally fascinated with themselves. I mean, most of the pictures are, are of them. They're, they're, they're fascinated with themselves. You know, social media, it's like now I'm having uh, lunch, um, <clears throat> you know, at my favorite restaurant, or now I'm at the gym working out, or now I'm at the mall shopping, or now I'm putting on my shoes. And to be honest with you, I, I don't really care what you're doing. You know, I don't want to see your minute-by-minute, play-by-play of your day. But the sad reality is, is it's all about me. It's all about my following. How many followers do I have? What it boils down to is we live in a culture where I'm the center of my own universe. It's all about me. Did you realize that there isn't a single command in the scripture to love yourself? There's no command in Scripture to esteem yourself. But there are a lot of commands in Scripture to humble yourself. Loving yourself, loving money, they they usually go hand in hand. When you love yourself, you will love the money that feeds your self-desires. And when you love money, that opens up the doors to all kinds of wickedness. I mean, people who love only themselves, and they love all of their money or only their money, they will do anything to get the money uh, to feed their self-interest or to feed their uh, self-desires. And, and, and usually they'll hurt anybody that's in the way of accomplishing that goal. They don't care about anyone else. They don't care about stepping on anyone else to get the money that they want to feed their self-desires. And, and, and they, they will never have enough They can never get enough. You know, the scripture says, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money is evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. And the reality is, is we need to love people and use money. But unfortunately, a lot of times, people are used and money is love. That's not the way it should work. That's not what God intended. Paul then says that people will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. You know, boastful people are insecure people. They're always better than you, and man, they just can't stop talking about themselves. They're always, you know, the heroes of their own story. Oftentimes, the the most important agenda 
that they have is them. They're the most important item on their agenda. They're proud. You know, I would say if if you were choosing teams, for example, I would strongly encourage you to have God on your team, okay? You need to make Him the Lord of your life. But it would be like, It'd be like picking uh, teams on on a school playground, you know, out in the schoolyard. You're picking teams, and you're standing there, and you know, like, there's God, and there's Johnny Prideful, and you're like, man, I think I'm gonna go with, uh, I think I'm gonna go with Johnny Prideful because I I think he's better than God. I mean, that's usually what ends ends up happening to people that are boastful or people that are prideful. They actually think that they're better or smarter, more creative more powerful than God. Next, Paul says that people will be, uh, you know, that, that they will be disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. I want to give you a statement this morning that I really want you to hold on to. I mean, here's a statement for you, okay? It all begins at home. Let me say that one more time. It all begins at home. If you train a child in the direction of God, they're going to make progress in that direction. But if you train a child to worship themselves, they're going to make a lot of progress in that direction. Dad and mom, can I... Could I just give you a, a little bit of uh, biblical advice this morning? I can't hear you because there's no one in this room, okay? And I'm just looking at a camera, so I'm going to give you advice whether you want it or not, all right? <laughs> a little biblical advice for you. Don't let little Billy, who's three years old, okay? Don't let little Billy run your home. Don't let him get away with disobeying or being ungrateful, Don't let him get away with it. Like train him in the direction, teach him in the direction on the path towards God. You know, for example, in my home, and and trust me, uh, my home is not perfect, all right? We have our issues in my home. But in my home, I'm, I'm trying to teach my boys to be grateful. After dinner, they're they're supposed to, okay, and I say that in jest, they're supposed to. Um, take their dishes, right, and wash them and put them in the dishwasher. And I've encouraged them after dinner to give their mom, every, every, every time we have a meal together, to give their mom a big old hug and to say, Mom, thanks for the meal. Thanks for the hard work that you put into the meal. Even if they didn't like the meal, all right, I've encouraged them to say thank you because I'm trying to teach them to be grateful. I'm trying to point them in the right direction. I'm trying to to point them in the path that is actually going to lead to a wonderful life. Here's here's one more thing that I'm going to give you this morning. This one's free of charge, okay? One more thing. If you want to destroy your marriage, let me give you a fast pass, all right? Let me give you, uh, like seriously, if you you want your marriage to fail, here's um, how you would wreck your marriage. Never show your spouse any gratitude. Never say thank you to your spouse. Never compliment your spouse. And if you want to wreck your marriage, always complain. I mean, just complain about 
everything. I mean, it is a sure way to destroy your marriage. It works every time. That is the secret recipe of how to destroy your marriage. But I want to encourage you, don't use that recipe because it tastes very bitter. All right, don't do it. Okay, moving right along. Getting off track here a little bit. Paul then says that they will be unloving. They will be unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. You see, when people go down bad paths, they don't even love those who love them. It ends up turning into madness. This is when you see mothers abusing their own children. This is when you see a husband beating his wife. When you, this is when you have people who are completely heartless. And they're unloving and they're unwilling to forgive and they're unmovable. They don't want to change. They're, they're really, really in a dark place. This is a person who is bitter and full of hate. They never want to make any changes. They don't want to do what's right. They don't want to forgive. And then this, this way of life, it leads, Paul says, to slandering other people, where you're intentionally trying to speak evil against people. You're out to hurt people. And instead of, you know, pointing out the best in people and instead of pointing out all the gold in someone's life, you're actually looking for all the dirt. You're trying to point out everything that they're doing wrong and you're just trying to heap or pour evil on people. Instead of being loving and gracious and kind and tender, we become mean and nasty and cruel. We try to make other people suffer to pay maybe for our, the hurt or the pain in our own life. We're out to hurt people. And when we get this way, we're, we're completely out of control. We have no self-control, no restraint. We become slaves to passion, slaves to lust, slaves to addictions, slaves to hate. These are the type of people that are completely out of control. I mean, they cannot control their eating. They, they smoke and they drink everything in sight. Their sex life is completely reckless. You see, when, when someone is out of control, they become cruel, they hate, they, they actually end up betraying their own friends and their own family. They're reckless, they're filled with pride, and they love pleasure a lot more than they love God. Can, can you see what, what Paul's talking about here? Can you see how the downward spiral has basically landed in the animal kingdom? People acting like animals? In the last days? But here's the, here's the really hard part. Here's the, the part that actually has a lot of tension. These people that can actually get to a place where they're just living and acting and behaving like animals, they can put on a completely different attire on Sunday mornings. Their lives can be completely out of control, but they can still act very religious. They'll, they'll say the right things. They may even do some of the right things. But they are very dangerous spiritually. Let, let me close the first part of this sermon by saying this. When we read these five verses from the Apostle Paul, I think oftentimes we're tempted uh, to look at this list of craziness, this list of brokenness, and, and we're tempted to try in our own strength to do right by not doing what's on the list. 
And we try in our own effort to do the opposite of those 20 things that Paul listed. And I just want to encourage you this morning, please don't do that. Okay? It never works. The only way to stay away from this list of destruction is to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to have a heart that is tender, to have a heart that is moldable like clay in the hands of Jesus. The only way that we can overcome this list of destruction is through the power of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And once again, I'm I'm speaking to those of you who may not even care. You don't care about church. Maybe you don't care about God. You would say, I'm not on a truth quest. Like, would you stop bugging me? All I want to do is just live a happy life. All I want to do is live a happy life. But remember where the list started? Paul said it starts with loving yourself. And then it kind of spills over into loving money because you've got to have some money to make yourself happy. And then very quickly after that, you end up living like animals, causing all kinds of chaos to anyone or anything around you. So you might say, okay, Paul, I, I really don't want to cause a bunch of destruction in my life. I don't want to cause pain to my loved ones, to my family. I really don't want to do that. So tell me, why should I care? Why should I care? So let's talk about why you should care. You, you know, following Jesus is really a life journey. Okay, it is a journey. It's a journey of understanding. It's a journey of realization. It's it's a journey of learning. And what that understanding or that learning or that realization, it, it gets to the point where we say, gosh, I really can trust my life to God. It's building this relationship of trust with the Almighty God. And as we entrust our lives to Jesus, we begin to turn, we begin to follow Him. When we do that, we will experience countless benefits. And I want to give you four reasons this morning uh, why you should care. Maybe to put it more bluntly, I'm going to give you four reasons why you should follow Jesus, okay? When you follow Jesus, number one, you, you feel the weight of your brokenness, you feel the weight of shame lifted off of your shoulders. When you follow Jesus, there's, there's an immediate effect that happens when you decide to follow Jesus. There's this sensation or this weight of your brokenness, your shame that is being lifted, completely removed from your heart, from your mind. And this is truly astonishing. It's not something that anyone has to make up or explain to you. As you put your trust in Jesus, as you put your trust in His gospel, and you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, you actually and literally feel His forgiveness. When you follow Jesus, number two, the the power of sin is broken in your life. It doesn't have power over you anymore. Sin or destructive patterns in our lives will begin to to lose their luster, you know? Your your desires change. You don't want to do the destructive behavior that you used to do. Now, we need to understand that sin is still there. Uh, Christ followers are not perfect. Christ followers still sin. But we don't crave that 
destructive behavior like we used to. Number three, when you follow Jesus, you you begin to understand and realize in real time that God is with you. God promises us. He gives us his word that he will not only forgive us, that he will not only cleanse us, but he will also be with us. That's incredible. When you decide to follow Jesus, you, you have instant access to the presence and the glory of God. As we worship, as we pray, as we read the scriptures, as we walk together in Christian community, we know for a fact, we experience that we are not alone and we will never be alone again. And then when you follow Jesus, or maybe I could say another reason why you should care, is when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you begin to see God's activity in your life. You begin to to see and experience God's working in your life. Listen, as our eyes are open to the greatness of Jesus, we begin to see, we begin to take notice of God's grace, we begin to see His activity in our life, we begin to see Him working in our lives. We no longer question whether or not, you know, man, is God out there somewhere? Because we understand and we are experiencing that God is here, that God is near, that God is with me because he's at work in my life. I can see it. I can see him doing things that can only be explained by God. Listen, the reality is God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to pay the sacrifice for your sins on the cross. He gave his life because he loves you. He's not trying to scare you into heaven. He's trying to love you into heaven. He did this because you're not good enough. He did this because I'm not good enough. So stop trying to be good enough for God. Stop trying to be good enough. You cannot be good enough. Instead, trust in His goodness. Trust in Jesus. The only way you can be good is because Jesus is good. So trust in His goodness. Believe in what God has done for you. Begin to trust your life to Him and experience the countless benefits of following the Almighty God. Listen, that's why you should care. God wants to deliver you from a path of destruction. And instead of of going down this path of brokenness and shame and heartache, God wants to deliver you from that path, and He wants to set you on a path that is full and filled and overflowing with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness self-control. I'm inviting you today to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ.